last week, Vicky set up uh, the, the story of Exodus for us, and she was looking at Exodus chapters 1 and 2. Tonight, we're going to be looking at 3 and 4. Um, but if you weren't here, what happened is, is we looked at um, Moses being born, uh, being raised in the royal Egyptian household. He went on to, to murder an Egyptian, and then he fled into the deserts of Midian. We saw that God is a God who remembers. He remembers his people who are captive and being slave-driven. And we looked at how his covenant with us is the wellspring from which everything flows. That this story is our story. And um, at the start of Exodus chapter 3, Moses is still in Midian and he's working as a shepherd and he's tending his flock at the site of um, Mount Horeb. And this is where Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And uh, God uh, reveals himself to Moses And God commissions him to go and lead God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt. And Moses is full of self-doubt. He's he's full of thoughts of inadequacy. And Moses, at this point, is 80 years old. But he's about to grow up in faith. So let's read it. Um, We've got these these sheets at the end of the rows. I've, I've heard some... Um, shuffling of papers so um, please do pass them along if you haven't already Um, I'm really sorry I did ask for the text to be a font size smaller but I'm really sorry that I didn't manage to to get that to happen Um, but let's read it so from the beginning of chapter three I'm just going to read a few of the verses now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. From the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to Moses. And thank you that we have this record in the scriptures that we can learn from tonight. And thank you that by your spirit, you are helping us right now to open our minds, open our hearts to all that you have to reveal to us, all that you have to call us into tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what comes into your mind when you think about God. There's nothing more important, the way that we approach life, than what we think about when we think about God. And in this passage tonight, the revelation of God to Moses reveals to us what kind of God it is that we're dealing with. What we find is that it's possible to revel in the revelation of God. So what's the first thing that we learn in tonight's passage? The first thing is that God's revelation is of highest relevance. His revelation is of highest relevance. In the past couple of hundred years, it's all been about the selfie. The selfie and self-determination. The yardstick by which we've measured everything is ourselves. Everything that we approach, everything that we do, everything that we think about is all related to the self. Yet there are so many variables in life. There are so many variables and our lives are so short. So can we build our lives on something far more rock solid? God reveals himself not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in this passage as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In verse 14, he says, I am who I am. Now, this circular description of himself is is showing us that he is self-sufficient, that he's not dependent on on anyone else or, or anything else for his identity, for who he is, what his character is like. God is the only one that can be truly self referencing. Even though we're obsessed with the self, we don't really like self referencing people, do we? But in reality, God is the one who can truly be self referencing. And he's unchanging, he's repeating, he's underlining, he's emphasizing, he's highlighting the nature of his nature to Moses, the reality of his nature to Moses. I saw uh, this article in the Washington Post, um, and there he is, Ryan, and, um, and this is a, a film review of uh, Blade Runner 2049, and the, the headline there is, Blade Runner 2049 is about learning that you're not the main character in your own story. I know the Washington Post has been accused of a lot of fake news of late, but this isn't fake news, this is old news. I hate to break it to you, but you're not the main character in your own story. This story that we read about tonight, it's really the story of getting to know God more and more, step by step. Everyone loves a good story. But the former director of the British Museum, 
Neil McGregor, has recently said about Britain, he said this, we are a very unusual society. We are trying to do something that no society has really done. We are trying to live without an agreed narrative of our communal place in the cosmos and in time. And the comedian David Mitchell uh, wrote in The Guardian about that. He said that this is a more persuasive explanation than smartphones or commuting of why we feel so stressed. Because you can't have a void, can you? If you don't have that shared narrative that Neil McGregor was talking about, you'll fill that void with another narrative, with the narrative of what the media says, the narrative of what maybe your friends advise you. We spend so much of our lives listening to other narratives, listening to other stories. And what we can find is these narratives, these stories, not only lead us to treat ourselves as if we're the main character in the story, but it can also lead us to thinking that God doesn't exist at all. So we, we, we live our lives as if we don't actually believe what we come here on Sunday to, to sing about and, and listen about and, and pray about. People say that Christianity is irrelevant to modern life. But that's a category error. Because the story that we're part of is the story of the salvation of the human race. Created by the creator. What could possibly be more important? What could possibly be more relevant to our lives than God? The radical thing that you and I can do is to live a life that shows the people around us that God is not irrelevant. He's certainly not boring. And he's true. So it's crucial that we know what story we're part of. So who is this God? Not only do we try to define ourselves, but we also try to define God. We know that the people of Israel go on to create idols. And we can look at them and sneer and think, aren't they pathetic? But actually, we can sometimes carry on this madness too. We say things like, I couldn't believe in a God who, whatever it is, We couldn't believe in a God that thinks differently to the way that we think. Are we creating a God in our own image, or are we worshipping the God that is revealed to us in the Bible? As Vicky said last week, God is surprising. He's certainly surprising in some of the decisions that he takes. God doesn't say to Moses, um, to to say to the people of Israel, uh, tell them I am what they want me to hear, or they want to hear, He says, I am who I am. In verse 14, God says his personal name. He he introduces his name. My name is Jamie. That's my personal name. And when God says his name, he says, I am, and we we sort of want to fill in the blank there. But, But he actually says, I am who I am. Or could be translated as, I be who I be. And, and we know that parents uh, buy books to, to come up with uh, really interesting and impressive names for their children. We want our names to be impressive, to, to, to reveal a character or virtue. And at first glance, when God says, I am who I am, it, it sounds quite sort of baffling. It sounds quite annoying. But actually, as you dig a bit 
deeper, you realize that it's not frustrating at all. It's actually amazing because it shows his character that he is unchanging, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This name that he gives himself is, is often commonly translated from the Hebrew as, as Yahweh or Jehovah or the Lord in capitals. He's saying, I have always been who I've always been. I'll always be who I'll always be. I'm what matters in the future. Nobody shapes who I am. So God is the main character in the story. Uh, Moses seems to be the main figure um, for the people of God before Jesus. The main character in this, in this epic narrative. And he'd been singled out as a baby. Now he's being singled out to lead God's people. But I'd like to say to you tonight, don't be led astray by the chiseled jawline of Charlton Heston, of Christian Bale, or indeed the Prince of Egypt. God is the main character in this story. God's desire here is not to transform Moses into some sort of superhero, but into a servant leader who trusts and obeys the voice of God. Why obey the voice of God? Why trust in him? Because he knows God's character. Because God has revealed himself to him. It's not about you and me being the main character in the story. But trusting in God's character. Bible characters come and go. And our lives are fleeting. But God remains. The story of Exodus might seem as far away as anything from your life tonight. But you and I are connected to this narrative by the same God who's been around for millennia, who's been around for eternity. And that totally blows my mind. The thought that the God that that called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt is the same God of you and me. God doesn't just say, I am. But he also says, I am with you. And to use a a couple of theological words, he is both transcendent and imminent. He's transcendent. He's he's above us. He's higher than than we can imagine. But he's also imminent. He's among us. He's above us and he's among us. He is almighty and he's all-powerful, but he's also the God of you. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, he's not an optional extra. He's not an in-app purchase. He is the active ingredient in every situation. I've noticed in in my life that uh, when I get a little bit preoccupied with my own little narrative and, and what's going on in my life and what's going on around me, I find that, that Jesus draws me back to see him. So I know that even though there are so many variables going on in my life, he never changes. He can be trusted on. He can be trusted in. And so his revelation leads to elevation. If his revelation is the most relevant thing, the natural next step is that we elevate him in our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, tonight is bonfire night. We've been having bonfire celebrations over the weekend. And, and what we know about fire is that fire is both inviting and it's terrifying. It's inviting and it's terrifying. And we know that our God is a consuming fire. 
but the burning bush doesn't burn up. And in another part of the Bible, in, in a book called Lamentations, we read that because of your great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. He is more holy than we can bear. He's also more loving than we can imagine. C.S. Lewis wrote in A Grief Observed, he, he asked the question, what do people mean when they say, I am not afraid of God because I know he is good? Have they never been to a dentist? Maybe not inviting, but certainly terrifying. Moses uh, takes off his sandals in front of the burning bush. It's a bit more than, say, sort of taking off your hat or sort of looking up from your phone. He's being deliberate here. He's on holy ground. And later, Moses lays down what's in his hand. Worship is quite simply the appropriate response to who God is. Worship is the way that we respond to the revelation of Jesus. We find that when we see Jesus, we elevate him in our lives. In verse 12 of of chapter 3, the passage that we read, God says, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, now that's meaning not just you, Moses, but you, the whole people of Israel, you, plural, you will worship God on this mountain. The more that we journey with God, the more that we um, understand God, the more we are led to worshiping him, to elevating him, to leading others to elevate him too. One day... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Never let anybody tell you that the church is backward. The church is futuristic. You are ahead of the curve. Congratulations. God doesn't need our worship, but he knows it's good for us. Just like you can't have a void with the story that you listen to, you also can't have a void when it comes to worship. We will always be worshipping something or someone. And is it Jesus Christ that we are elevating in our lives? So yes, worship on a Sunday. Come here, get here on time, worship God. But also elevate God in your life during the week. I guess what I've been trying to do recently is to, is to reorder my own sort of private worship. As we were praying before, the, the sort of stuff that's going on in, in the news at the moment just seems quite overwhelming. And it's really important that we are engaged with what's going on in the world around us. But sometimes we can listen so much to those narratives around us that it can start to dominate our thinking. And what I've been trying to do lately is to sort of even things out a little bit, to to spend more time listening to songs that reveal to me the character of God, that, that show me what kind of God he is. This isn't escapism. This is tuning in. Fill your mind with God reality, and you'll find that God will begin to inform the way that you look at what's going on around you in the world. Sometimes I feel like worshipping. Sometimes I'm really not in the mood. 
but we can ask God by his spirit to help us, to empower our worship. And as we worship God, we begin to get more and more of an understanding of who he is. He inhabits the praise of his people. God is above us and he is among us. His revelation also prioritizes his relation to us. In verses 7 to to 9 there, God uh, says that he has heard his people's cry. And you might be here tonight thinking, the cries of my heart, the burdens that I have, what I've been crying out to God for, it's, it's too painful, it's too raw. Has God really heard my cry? And tonight, the answer we see is a resounding yes. That God has heard your cry, and he also wants you to hear that he has heard your cry. In verse 4, God calls to Moses, and he says, Moses, Moses. He uses this double name, and God uses this double name over and over in the Bible when he really wants to get someone's attention. Jamie, Jamie. I know your name. I want you to know me, but I also want you to know that I know you. I know you personally. I know you intimately. I saw another attempt at trying to get people's attention. Here's this ad from Lloyd's Bank. And the the article that goes with it, the media release, says, For over 250 years, Lloyd's Bank has been helping people. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Is that all they've got? Jesus has been helping his people for millennia. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has loved you with an everlasting love. Whether you feel it or not. The media release also says, the, um, the advert takes viewers on a dramatic journey through Britain, demonstrating Lloyd's Bank's, Lloyd's Bank's commitment to the UK. I'd like to suggest that there's an even more dramatic story, an even more dramatic journey through the Bible, demonstrating God's commitment to you and to me. And there um, in the Lloyd's ad, it says in, in sort of very small print down by the right-hand corner, by your side. And the promise of God's presence with us is not the fine print. God is wanting to say loud and clear, he's wanting to drum this into us, that he is with us, that he is always with us. And we see this in how God reveals himself. He says, firstly, I am who I am. Then he says, tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And then finally, he gives his actual name. So in other words, God really wants to be known in relationship with you. But that also means that his revelation is the answer to our identity as well. The most common question asked by people from the age 12 upwards is, who am I? We find ourselves, don't we, wearing identities that we didn't even necessarily ask for. And we, we latch onto identities that enslave us. If it's, I am what I do, or I am what I own, we'll be depressed or we'll be in debt. If it's, I am in control, 
I'm someone who controls things, will be anxious or angry. In chapter 4, verse 2, Moses is called to lay down his identity, the symbol of his wealth, the symbol of his standing in the world, his staff. Moses has worn lots of identities. God's answer to Moses asking, who am I, is to say, I will be with you. And that's the chief way Moses is to think of himself. I'm with him. And that's the main way that we are to think of ourselves. I'm with him. I'm with God. Faced with a burning bush, Moses takes off his sandals. But he's warned not to come too close. And later in Exodus, we read that in order to enter the tent of God's presence, uh, you have to to wash. There had to be this cleansing if we were to come before God. And just before he goes to the cross, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Jesus enables us to stand before a holy God. We see outcasts are drawn to him. In verse 8, God says, I have come down to deliver them. And in Jesus and at Christmas, we see God coming down to be with us. The infinite becomes an infant. The transcendent and the imminent, above us and among us. And in John's gospel, Jesus says to the religious leaders, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Yes, you may be weak. You may feel weak, but breathe in the reality tonight that Jesus is enough for you and that Jesus has come for you. The Hebrew verb to be, that is related to God's name here in this passage. It describes both his existence and his active presence with us. His existence and his active presence as one and the same. And God wants to be both present and active in your life. We all know what it's like to be with someone and then being present with us but not really active, not really present with us. And that's not the way that God wants to be with you. He wants to be both present and active in your life. He wants to be fully engaged. To be or not to be is not the question. But to be with God or not to be. This is how we are to define ourselves. Moses' journey isn't just back to Egypt and out to the promised land, but it's to greater and greater intimacy with God. Our story is one from distance and exile to the promised land of Jesus' presence. You will only ever know who you are in relation to God. And finally, his revelation leads to participation in salvation. I love words. God calls Moses to go and save his people. How does Moses react? Well, beginning from verse 11 in chapter 4 there, you'll see that he says, I'm not up to it. I won't know what to say. What if they don't believe me? I'm not good at public speaking. Please send someone else. It's not unreasonable, in my opinion. It's not unreasonable for Moses to be afraid of leading God's people or going to Pharaoh. 
if it's in his own strength. But God is the greater reality. God calls us to a position of faith, to go into this work expecting God to provide for us. God doesn't give Moses a pep talk and say, of course you're up to it. You're going to be fine. He says, I am. Whatever you think your lack is, God is enough. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, over and over, God specializes in taking broken, needy people and using them for his glory. He uses people like them and he uses people like you and me anyway. God is still the one who calls into the unknown, overcomes impossible odds to keep his promises, and he bothers with people who have tried and failed. When you answer the call of God on your life, yes, you might feel out of your depth, but you will also be in the immense depth of God's goodness and of his grace. For me, many, many times at theological college, um, when I was uh, sort of struck in awe and wonder at who this amazing God is, at the same time I had the feeling of, please not me, why me? Choose someone else. And that's what we find when we encounter God. We are encountering his presence, his holiness. And we can also be so aware of our weakness. But my experience is that every step through my journey of stepping into God's calling for my life, God has reminded me of this promise to be with me wherever I go. And he has never let me down. And God has a unique calling on your life. For some of us here tonight, it will be the calling to be ordained in the Church of England. But for all of us, God is calling us to do his work where we are, on the front line of our workplaces, of our communities, of our families. Wherever we are, God is commissioning us. He is calling us to lead his people, to draw people into the promised land of his presence. Tonight, maybe God is stirring in you to be bold enough to invite someone to one of our Christmas services or to invite people on the next Alpha to reveal Jesus by transforming the environment that you're in. And yes, it might be tough. The environment might be hostile. And I don't want to downplay that. But they're probably not Pharaoh. And the God of Moses goes with you. And he calls himself the God of you. The danger is that we don't ever try anything. We don't ever leave the desert because we're afraid of failure. The struggle is real, but so is God. Life is short. God is big. People don't know the name of Jesus. And no offense... The fact of the matter is, is that God will accomplish his plan with or without us. But we have the choice to be proactive, to not be passive when God calls us. We don't sort of step into his plan for us by accident. 
in chapter 3, verse 3, Moses turns aside and he says, I will go over and see this strange sight. And there's this degree of intentionality about the way that he's behaving to go and see what God is doing, to explore what God is doing. And in so doing, God addresses Moses' obstacles and he finds out God's next step for him. Go to Pharaoh. God, the, the major plan was to lead people out of, out of Egypt, but God did give him the, the next step. So explore what God is doing. Turn aside. Make yourself available to God. Say, here I am, as Moses says there in verse 4. Here I am. And see where he leads you, just for the next step. Jesus draws us. He invites us. And when he reveals himself to Simon and Andrew, he says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. Following Jesus and leading people to know him. Like Ant and Deck, you can't have one without the other. You are called by love and sustained by the burning fire of his Holy Spirit. Moses' successor says, be strong and very courageous, not because of your abilities, but because God is with you. He learnt well, didn't he? And Jesus' final words on earth as he commissions his followers to go and do his work he says and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age do you think jesus is wanting to say something to you tonight about partnering in his purposes and the promise of his presence I've realized that um, basically, essentially, the message of my talk tonight is the kids' action song, Our God is a Great Big God. Has anyone been to the 11 a.m. service? Okay, quite a few of us have been there. Great. Um, And there's this verse in that song uh, where we sing, And he's known me and he's loved me since before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of God's amazing plan. I didn't need to go to theological college. I just needed to get to church on time for the action song. And in an increasingly confusing and confounding world of comparison, I love that we are teaching the youngest members of our community that there's a God who has always loved them and always will love them, that there's a God who has great plans for their life and that we are establishing them in biblical personhood. I don't want a day of my life not knowing God's love for me, not knowing the plans and purposes that he has for my life. God wants to give you a revelation of himself so big, so great, that your life speaks, it sings, of how great Jesus is, of how loving he is, and his purposes for the world. He loves watching you join in, even if you don't think you're particularly good at the actions. People are enslaved and far from where they belong, and you get to play a part in drawing people into a wide open space, a space of milk and honey, the the space of Jesus' presence. And this is why God's revelation matters.
elevate, relate, participate. When the credits roll on the film of your life, will Jesus be the main character and you be one of the supporting characters? Because we're actually part of a much, much greater story, the greatest story ever told. Life is short. God is big. Adventure awaits. Don't miss out. Amen. Amen.